You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Thank you, Adam. So we have an official leader for the camp now. Well, good morning. My name is uh, Chuy Rodriguez, or Jesus Rodriguez, and I am uh, one of the elders at this uh, at New City Fellowship. And um, we are in the middle of a, a series in the book of Acts. And today we're going to be talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, as Evan mentioned. Uh, we're going to spend some time in Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. But before we dive in, let me go ahead and pray for us so that the Holy Spirit would speak to us again. Dear God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the blessing that we have in meeting together and learning from your word. I pray that today you would speak to us. I pray that once again your spirit would um, transform us, uh, fill us, Give us power to be your witnesses here in Manassas and all around this area and the ends of the world as well, and to the ends of the world as well. I pray that today we would be encouraged and challenged uh, by your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Uh, I want to acknowledge that it is cold. Um, I try opening the, correcting the, the doors, but I don't know if that's going to help much. So I apologize. I will try to make this as brief as possible so you will not freeze. Um, so last week we covered the first chapter of the book of Acts and we started with uh, chapter one when we saw how Jesus, after he comes back from the dead, he spends 40 days with his disciples uh, talking about and teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then he commands them to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit uh, and the Spirit will come and empower them to fulfill their mission. And he tells them that they were going to be witnesses to this gospel in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and, and to the ends of the earth. And uh, they obeyed. That's what we saw in, the, in last week. The, the disciples obeyed. They go back to Jerusalem. And they, they waited patiently. And while they waited, they were not just doing nothing, but they prayed. They were in one accord. And they also chose a successor for Judas. And so we talked about this last week, and we said that God's plan was never ruined or changed, and that God provided leadership for his people. And today we come to chapter 2, verses 1 through uh, 13. And I'm excited to, to, to talk about this text because of my background, and, and, and I, w I would like to share uh, later on some of the things I've learned throughout the years. Uh, so let me go ahead and read chapter uh, 2, verses 1 through 13. And it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And at, a, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? <clears throat> Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, Rome both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with wine. So I want to get a few things out of the way that are, are important. So my, my first uh, probably 10 minutes is going to be just getting some clarification on, on terms. Um, and I want to acknowledge this is a controversial text for many denominations. In fact, uh, entire denominations have divided over uh, the interpretation of this passage. The first thing I want to make sure we understand is, and if you're like me and you've been in the church for a long time, I totally thought that Pentecost meant that the Spirit came. Because I was part of a Pentecostal movement, and that was the name we had, and I totally thought that that was, the, that was what we were celebrating. So later came to find out that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit in the first place. In fact, it is uh, not a denomination. It's not a Christian holiday per se. It's actually one of the three major uh, festivities or holidays from the Jewish. And it, this was established in the Old Testament. And it was also known as the Feast of Weeks. And we see examples of this in Exodus 34 and Exodus 23. It was also known as, as the Feast of Harvest. And this is something that was celebrated yearly around the time of the wheat harvest. And the Jews who lived all over the world back then in the first century, they would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate this. So the word Pentecost is the Greek word that means 50 or 50th part of something. And the way this works is that beginning on the, after the Passover, they were supposed to count seven weeks or 50 days and then celebrate the Feast of the Harvest. The Hebrew name for this holiday is Shavuot. Shavuot, I don't know how to pronounce it in Hebrew. And uh, it actually continues to be celebrated, uh, and it was celebrated back in May. So we get this from Leviticus 23. That's the clearest command we have on how to celebrate this uh, and it was established by God himself to his people, of, his people of Israel. And it says, You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Shabbat, Sabbath, Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. And this Sabbath was especially the, the Sabbath of the Passover. For us, Easter. So I have a little, I found this online, and I think it's really helpful for us to understand. Uh, and this is a timeline of how things happened. So the Passover was celebrated, and during the Passover, Jesus was crucified. And then he resurrects, and that's the beginning of the counting of the seven weeks. So we have seven weeks that passed, which uh, 
Six weeks actually counted for the 40 days that Jesus came back and spent the time with his disciples. And then on the 40th day, Jesus ascends to heaven. That's towards the end of the sixth week. And then a week after that is when they were celebrating the, 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 the Pentecost or Shavuot. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes over the disciples. So the disciples basically waited about a week after Jesus left. And then the Holy Spirit came to them. Us as Christians, we celebrate Pentecost as well as a part of our liturgical calendar. Uh, but instead of being the harvest, uh, we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we actually keep the same parameter from Leviticus. We count 50 days after Easter to celebrate uh, Pentecost for us. That's, that's how we see Pentecost. So I just want to make sure you understand that Pentecost has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit initially. Uh, but us as Christians, we celebrate that because it was the day when we, were, um, we received the Holy Spirit or the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to get into the more controversial thing. We're going to see the Holy Spirit coming and people speaking in tongues. And that is a whole new topic. And I am not going to have, by any means, a chance to explore this in full depth. So I'm going to give you a few uh, initial thoughts and clarifications. So there is controversy between what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I want to make sure we understand. Number one, baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same as the filling of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is something that usually happens once. It's all something that gives you an initial or an entrance to something. And for us, according to 1 Corinthians 12, we are, as believers, all baptized in one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So this is what uh, Paul is talking about, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is what happens to believers when they uh, become Christian, when they are converted. This is what we also know in theology as regeneration, which is that we were dead in our trespasses and God sends His Spirit to give us life so that we can respond to the gospel and then we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Once we are justified, we are then sealed with the Holy Spirit who becomes our inheritance. And that's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 1 when he says, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes, baptizes us, seals us, now lives inside of us and becomes the guarantee of our salvation and he continues to shape us, sanctify us into the image of Jesus as we uh, progress in our Christian life. He also gives us the power to live and proclaim the gospel. Baptism in the Holy Spirit or of the Holy Spirit is part of our salvation. It happens once in the life of the believer. And in fact, this is what uh, was prophesied that Jesus was going to do. If you remember in Matthew and Mark and Luke, John the Baptist said when people were coming to him and asking him, are you the Messiah? He said, no, I'm not the Messiah. There's someone else coming that will baptize you with what? with the Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew 3, 11, Mark 1, 8, Luke 3, all say that Jesus was going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And that's the coming of our salvation. This is not only something that Jesus said or that John the Baptist said. This is a prophecy from the Old Testament. And one of the most notable ones is from the, uh, the prophet Joel, who actually says in 
Joel chapter 2, 29, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And this is important because this is a promise where God was going to save not only Jewish or Israelites, he was going to save all flesh. He was going to pour his spirit on all flesh. And actually, Joel 2.32 continues to say, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And what we are seeing right now in Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment of these promises. That God pours His Spirit on all kinds of people, and that same Spirit goes forward to all nations. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is part of our salvation. It happens only once in our life. And it's for all believers. What's the difference between that and the filling of the Holy Spirit? The filling of the Holy Spirit is something that could happen repeatedly. It's not tied to Jesus or salvation necessarily. And in fact, we have instances in the Old Testament where this happened as well as the New Testament. The filling of the Holy Spirit also has a very specific purpose for a specific situation and has happened and it looks different in every different person. For instance... In the New Testament, Paul commands us to be filled with the Spirit instead of being controlled by alcoholic beverages or any other substance. He says, give yourself up to the Spirit instead of giving yourself up to any other uh, substance in Ephesians 5.18. And then we see instances for in, uh, uh, in Luke 1, Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's dad, he was filled with the Spirit after he, his son was born and he started prophesying. We see this in Luke 1.69. Then and we see Stephen, remember one of the, uh, the, the people that were selected to, to help with the tables? Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. He then went and preached the gospel. And because of that, he was stoned to death. And as he was being killed, he was filled with the Spirit. We see in the Old Testament, for instance, that Pharaoh recognized that Joseph was filled with the Spirit to interpret dreams in Genesis 41. In Exodus 31, we see that God, God filled Bezalel with his Spirit, who gave him the ability to, to do craftsman, craftsmanships with wood, with metal. Uh, uh, he became an artist, and then he becomes a teacher to others so that he can build a tabernacle. He was filled with the Spirit to become an expert in how to build a tabernacle. Joshua was filled with the Spirit in Numbers 27. Gideon was filled with the Spirit in Judges 6. Samson was filled with the Spirit in Judges 13. Saul, the first king of Israel, was filled with the Spirit in 1 Samuel 10. David was filled with the Spirit when he was anointed as king by, by, by Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, etc. So the filling of the Spirit looks different in people. It can happen repeatedly, and it has a specific purpose. It's not the same as the baptism. So what does it have to do with tongues? People sometimes believe that the evidence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. And some people believe that the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. And I would say, and you can disagree with me, and I acknowledge that there's Christians that I consider my brothers and sisters that disagree with me, but I would say that both of those are not true. We don't have clear evidence to say that the evidence of baptism and the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. That is not true. We also don't have evidence to say that being filled with the Spirit always results in speaking in tongues. In fact, what we see is that speaking in tongues is a gift from the Spirit that could be for some people only, and it's not across the board. 
People believe that speaking in tongues is sort of a better Christian or a sign of maturity. and It's a second blessing, and it is just not true. We can't find that in the Bible. This is a gift that is one of many gifts that the Spirit gives us as a church. And we can clearly see this, and I'm not going to read it in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, there's also different types of tongues. So if you have this, the, the gift of speaking in tongues, you can have maybe one or, 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 or two different kinds of tongues. The first one, which is the one that we see in this text, is actually speaking a language. You can have the gift of speaking in tongues because you will have the blessing of speaking another language. So, for instance, if you're bilingual here, you have the gift maybe of speaking two different, two different languages or maybe three. I don't know. I grew up and everybody always said, how do you speak English so well? And I don't know. I don't know. It's just a gift, right? Now, maybe you're American. You say, no, your English is not that good, but it's fine. I acknowledge that. Pero mi español es mejor todavía. But my Spanish is better. Anyway, so that's one way to see, and actually those are human tongues that we can speak, and that's also a gift from God. But then Paul refers to a different kind of tongue, which he calls angelic or heavenly tongues. And those are the ones that are not uh, outlined by human, uh, human beings. And we see that this, either those tongues, either the human or the heavenly, should be exercised in the church with a specific, or in a specific way. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul gives us a command that if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So, the purpose of speaking in tongues should be to edify others if you do it in the, in the church. But if you don't do it in the church or if you don't have an interpretation, then you should keep it to yourself and edify yourself. When it comes to how we practice this, uh, there's basically two ways to see this. There are Christians that believe that the gift of tongues is no longer active, and those are called cessationists. And there are Christians who believe that the gifts of tongues are continuing until today, and those are called continuists. Whether you are a cessationist or a continuist, we both agree in that this is a good outline for understanding tongues. Personally, I fall in the camp of continuist. I, I, I believe that the, the, the gift of tongues continues until today. I have not seen it done well. I've seen it done in all kinds of weird ways uh, and not necessarily biblical because I've been in churches where everyone in the church is speaking in tongues. There's no interpretation and nobody knows what's happening. And that is not how the Bible uh, commands us to do it. Okay, so now we move on to our passage. The first thing we see is that Jesus fulfilled his promise, and Jesus always fulfills his promise. The disciples waited for a week. They prayed constantly. They remained together, and Jesus fulfilled the promise. The Holy Spirit came upon the 120 people. Men and women alike, they were all together. And I want to highlight this. The fact that Jesus fulfilled his promise did not depend on them. And this is something that I had to correct about my own theology when I was in a Pentecostal church. Because I needed to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or I needed to ask God to give me the gift of tongues, and I needed to somehow provoke that gift 
And that is just not in the text. We don't see these people trying their best, fasting, praying 24-7. They prayed, but we don't have a clear picture of like they were praying for this and they made it and they were looking for a revival and they did it so that God responded and gave them this gift. That's not what happened. This was a promise from God that Jesus fulfilled and it had nothing to do with what they were doing. The fulfilling of God's promises, it's never tied to our behavior. God will fulfill his promises to us regardless of us. And that has always been the case. David messed up repeatedly. And God promised to David that the Messiah was going to be from his lineage. And that did not change one bit. When he made mistakes, when he sinned, he never ruined God's plans. And that's exactly what happened here. God promised to his disciples that they were going to receive the Holy Spirit and that they were going to receive power to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And despite Paul's messing up, or Peter, I'm sorry, they received the Holy Spirit. The disciples were not perfect. The disciples uh, had issues between them. The disciples had issues uh, with their personalities. But God poured his spirit on them. And we need to understand as a church that God's promises, Jesus' promises will always be fulfilled for his own glory because he wants to fulfill them. This is not based on our merits. And he has promises for us as a church, and he has promises for us as individuals. For instance, as a church, God has promised to us that we belong to him. God has promised to us as a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. God has promised to us as a church that he will shepherd us and guide us as his people. We can trust in Jesus and we can trust in God's promises because he will provide, he will do, fulfill his promises because he's faithful, even though we are not faithful. And if, as individuals, let me remind you of a few promises that God has for you. And we have this tendency of thinking that because you mess up, because you're still struggling with this sin, because you're not necessarily the perfect person that you need to be, God is not going to fulfill his promises to you. And that is absolutely not true. I want you to hear this. If you are a believer, if you have placed your trust in Jesus, you have been promised that you are God's child, that he is your father, that you are his possession, that he will always be with you, that he loves you, that God has chosen you, that God listens to your prayers, that God will provide to you as, his, as your father, that God already accepts you and is pleased with you, and that God has already forgiven you, and that God will give you strength, that he will give you peace, and that he will give you joy. And those promises are for you, despite you. And the best promise is that we will soon be with him forever. And that nothing can separate us from him. Isn't that awesome to hear? We will soon be with him. 
all of this craziness that we're going through right now, it will soon be over. Because of you? No. Because he promised. And he always fulfills his promises. That's the first thing we see. God fulfilled his promise. The second thing we see in this text is that the, the, poor, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to proclaim the gospel. The Holy Spirit coming to us had a very specific purpose in this time, in this text. And the purpose was to proclaim or to tell the mighty works of God. That's exactly what we see in verse 11. We hear them telling our own, in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And that is another way to say the gospel. Why? Because the power of God is in full display in the gospel. There is no mightier work of God than the work that he did on his son or with his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. There is no greater miracle in all scripture greater than the gospel, than Jesus' work on the cross for us. The miracle of salvation to all people through the finished work of Jesus Christ is the greatest work of the entire scripture. The gospel is the pinnacle of the works of God. It is the fulfillment of the law and the prophet is the central theme of the entire scripture. And the Holy Spirit has come to us so that we can tell others about the mighty works of God. And the Holy Spirit comes to help us spread that message to the whole world. And this process happens over and over. A, a person who does not believe in God surrenders to God. Then that person is baptized with the Holy Spirit because he's saved. And then that becomes his power to go tell others about this gospel. The power to proclaim the gospel comes from the Holy Spirit, but it also comes from the gospel itself. And this is awesome because this message that we're trying to tell people has a double power. First, the, the Spirit comes and gives us the power to proclaim it. But then when we proclaim the gospel, the gospel itself has power. That's what Romans 1.16 says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So every time we proclaim the, the message of the gospel, we are seeing or witnessing two powers at work. Or it's the same power, the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel opening people's eyes and changing people's lives. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to proclaim this gospel. The next thing I want to highlight is that we also have the power of the Holy Spirit to not only proclaim the gospel, but to proclaim it to all kinds of people. Did you notice that the first time the Holy Spirit came to people, it, the Holy Spirit made sure that people from all over the world were listening to this message. Verse 9 to 11 says, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Egypt, Libya, all the way to Rome, Crete, Arabians, all people were listening to the gospel 
in their own languages. They were listening to the mighty works of God in their own language. This is the first time the Holy Spirit comes to the disciples, and the first time the disciples get it, the whole world listens to this gospel. We have the exact same gospel and the exact same spirit with us today, and we need to take this gospel to Manassas. And Manassas is filled with Mexicans, Russians, Ukrainians, Bolivians, Afghans, Indians, Nigerians, Japanese, Peruvians, Salvadorian, Koreans, Egyptians, Pakistanis, Germans, all kinds of people. God is interested in all people from all the world. Pentecost is the explosion of the plan of God to save people from every nation. Pentecost is God himself trying to reach other people, communicating with Gentiles in their own language. Pentecost is God saying this is no longer about one ethnic group or one culture or one language. This is about every culture, every ethnic group, and every language. This is the expansion towards all people. Pentecost is proof that God loves all people and he wants to communicate with all people in their own language. This is a leveling of all cultures. This is proof to the Israelites this is no longer about your Hebrew language. This is no longer about your traditions. This is for everybody. And we have that same gospel and we should take the same gospel with the same spirit to the people around us as well. I want to point out something. When Jesus came and gave the disciples the, the order, the command to take the gospel to all the world, I'm pretty sure they were a little overwhelmed. But if you think about it, it happened in the day. Jesus comes and says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. And the disciples were like, what? How? There's only 120 of us. But God was working already. And God was already bringing the people to them. And then they, he fills them with the Spirit. And they don't even know what's happening. They probably can't even control this. And they start speaking. And they don't even realize that people are understanding them in their own languages. And that already happened. The gospel went from zero to 100 in one day. All the way to Rome. Because that's what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit will do things that we can never do in our strength. The mighty rushing wind that fills the place calls every, call the attention of everybody, and everybody comes, because probably Jews were very noisy, no, noisy, noisy, noisy. Entremetidos? Noisy. There you go. Entrometidos, es verdad? Sorry, I made a mistake in my Spanish and I don't like doing that. <laughs> um, the Holy Spirit will do things that we can never do in our own strength. So I want to encourage us to be brave and to preach the gospel in our city to the people around us with the Holy Spirit. To be honest, this is really hard to do for some of us. 
It is really hard for some of us to actually talk to somebody about the Holy Spirit or about the gospel or invite a friend to church or even sometimes say that you're a Christian or just elaborate on your faith. It is hard. One of the greatest fears humans have is the fear of rejection. And being a Christian is actually the perfect recipe to be rejected. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us open our mouths and speak to people and talk to people and proclaim the gospel to people. And I want to encourage us all to be brave and take the steps to be rejected. Like, let's take the steps to be and be willing to look like fools. Because guess what? We don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to do. We just can't, and this is something I struggle with. We cannot label people and say, oh, that person will never listen to me. You just cannot do that. We do not know what God is going to do. There is plenty of proof, and if you talk to missionaries and regular Christians, they will tell you, I talked to this person, and I don't know why I thought he was going to, like, completely reject me, and, that's, and he cried, and he received the Lord right there, or he accepted my invitation. There's all kinds of miracles happening that we are just not doing because we're not taking the step to open our mouths and preach the gospel or invite people to church or engage in a conversation that might be uncomfortable because we're thinking that we are the ones who are going to do it. We are thinking that, well, I don't know enough theology. Well, I'm not, I just sinned right now. Well, I just got in a fight with my boss. Oh, well, I just, I'm, I, I don't know. Some, there's always an excuse, and we're like, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not, it's not you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel working through you. And I want to encourage us all, as a church, we are in the perfect situation to see the Holy Spirit bring people to our church that we never imagined. But I want to encourage us to not think about it. The first thing we should do is not think about ourselves. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit. And this is something I personally need to do more often. Before you start thinking, just say, Holy Spirit, do something. Give me the power. Pray that the Holy Spirit will give you the power. Pray that the Holy Spirit will give you the words. Pray that the Holy Spirit will give you the boldness to do it. We don't have the boldness. Some of you might have this evangelistic gift, and I respect that. That is not necessarily how I naturally operate. I need the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart to help me push through my own fear of rejection. And this is not the first time this happens. If you fast forward to Acts 4, and we'll get into this later, we will see how after Peter and other people are like mistreated, they pray. And look at how they pray. Acts 4, 29 through 31. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your, to your servants to continue to speak your word. How? With all boldness. These people were being killed and persecuted. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened? And continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We need the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit to preach the word of God. 
He wants us to have that boldness. He sent the Holy Spirit for us. He is our helper. So we need the Holy Spirit to pray for your neighbor, to talk to your neighbor, to your co-worker, your family member, your husband, your friend, your sister, your mom, your dad, anyone. I want to encourage us all in New City to ask constantly for the Holy Spirit to help us talk to people. It is not because of who you are or what you know. It's 100% God using you as a tool to help other people be saved. So let's take the scary step to do things. Let's take the scary step and see what God does. Let's expect those I never thought moments. And I want all of us to take this challenge for the next weeks. If you want to make it a TikTok challenge, you can, you can do it. But this is my challenge to all of us. Let's go and take bold steps to have some of those, I never thought this could happen, or I never thought this person would listen, or I never thought that my neighbor would actually accept the invitation moments. Let's take those. The Holy Spirit will do things that we can never do in our strength. I want to even challenge you further. There's people in our neighborhoods that might not even speak English. What if God does that again and allows you to talk to them in their own language and you didn't even know that language? It could happen. We're reading about it. I was just telling uh, Rebecca that my neighbors are Egyptian. And, and the first thing they said is, no English. And I'm like, ugh. I immediately felt like, oh, man. I'm not going to be able to talk to them. But no, that's not me. I'm preaching to myself. What if I just talk to them and be crazy about it, and then they come? It could happen. I want to leave us all with a challenge to use the power that we have been given. This power is for us today as well. Now, I want to clarify something. Just because we have the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that everything is going to go well. In fact, these people were killed because they were preaching the Holy Spirit or preaching the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet, God allowed them to be martyred and persecuted and put in jail and mistreated. But even in the midst of the pain or the rejection or the difficulty, God, through His Spirit, will also help us. The same power of the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to preach will also be the same power that gives us the strength to endure the difficulty. That's what happened here. The last verse of this text actually says, But others, mocking, said they are old, filled with new wine. Expect rejection, but pray for the Holy Spirit to give you the power to pass through, to go through, to withstand the rejection and the pain that comes with sometimes preaching the gospel. I'm taking too long. Let's do this. Let's bring the gospel. Remember, every time we preach the gospel, we need to make sure people understand that we're all sinners, 
that we are dead in our trespasses, that we are rebellious, that we are enemies of God, that we all deserve eternal separation from God because we want to be separated from God. We can't save ourselves. We don't want to be saved. But God, because he loves us, sends us his son to save us to be our substitute, to do the things that we cannot do in ourselves, on our own, to be the perfect person that we cannot be, Jesus did it for us. And to pay the price for our sin, Jesus did it for us on the cross. He died the death that we deserved, and he took our sins on the cross and cleansed us through his blood. And he not only defeated sin and Satan, he also defeated death because he came back from, from the death. He is our also substitute in defeating death by resurrecting from the cross and if we believe this message and respond in faith and repent we will be saved by grace not by our works and that is the message of hope of the gospel take this message to the city in the power of the holy spirit let's pray dear god we thank you for the power of your spirit we Thank you for being a good God who not only gives us the message, but also gives us the tools and the power to do what we need to do. Thank you because you never leave us alone. You don't just give us a command and expect to see us fail, but rather you give us a command, you help us do the command, you see us through the command, and you produce the fruit of the command through us. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And I pray that today, as a church, we would be challenged to utilize this power that has been given to us and go out into the city and bring the message of hope to everyone around us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.